book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And you're listening to Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my seven-year-old daughter as she reads through the Harry Potter book series. Except that's not true anymore because you are now my eight-year-old daughter. Yeah. Because you had a birthday. <laughs> I'll have to ch- I'll have to go back and change every single one of our podcasts to reflect your new eight-year-old status. <laughs> I'll say my seven-year-old daughter, who will eventually be eight. Oh, God. And then... <laughs> Now you can be my eight-year-old. So happy birthday to Lily. Anyone that's listening, please wish Lily a happy birthday in your own (laughs) space and time. We left off in which book? What are we reading? Um, Book four, The Goblet of Fire. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. We left off on chapter 18, The Weighing of the Wands. The Triwizard Champions were being sort of sworn in for their championly duties in the Triwizard Tournament. Their wands were being inspected by Ollivander. And you said something at the end of that episode that I have been thinking about ever since, that everyone, uh, that it was curious that Floor's wand had a Vila hair at its core, and that because she was able to enchant the boys, perhaps she was a Vila. Remember that? Yes. Well, it turns out the reason you thought that is because that's in the book and we had both forgotten. Uh, her grandmother was a Vila, and Floor is one quarter Vila on her mother's side. So she does have magical powers to enchant men. And uh, But I don't think she has the monster part. I don't think so either. I don't think she transforms into a beak-faced <laughs> harpy with uh, <laughs> scaly wings. But... Uh, that is actually when it is revealed because everyone is sort of aghast when, she, when Ollivander realizes that her wand has a uh, Vila hair core because that's so uncommon. And she says, it was my grandmother's. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I see. So you're uh, kind of a monster. <laughs> All right, then. No big deal. So uh, also it's odd that uh, her grandmother would like, you know, contribute a hair to be built into a wand. Perhaps that is a part Vila tradition. I don't know. So anyway, good insight, but also bad memory for both of us. Because I forgot. Uh, chapter 19. The Hungarian Horntail. Uh, this starts off with Harry. He knows there's about to be a big task, right? Yeah. He doesn't know what it is. And uh, Rita Skeeter has just published a very scathing article about him, right? Uh, yes. What what uh, what paper does she write for? Uh, the Daily Prophet. Daily Prophet. That's the biggest wizarding newspaper. So it's safe to say tons of people have read this article, right? Yeah. Harry's not happy about that. He's got plenty of stress in his life already. And this is just adding to it, certainly unnecessarily. What I'm confused about, about the news thing in Wizarding World is that it... Okay, so in some of the books, um, things happen just minutes before the prophet is out and has mm. already made the news. And then sometimes um, 
later in a different book or maybe in that same book, like, it comes out, like, uh, two days or mm-hmm. or one day or something after the thing happened instead of just a few minutes. Yeah, it, I think it depends on when the prophet sort of, quote-unquote, goes to press. Uh, Muggle newspapers are, you know, you have to have the news a day early because it takes, you know, eight to ten hours to print all the thousands and thousands of newspapers, uh, stack them up, fold them, put them on trucks, and then deliver them to stores or to people's houses. So if you get your paper at six in the morning... It's definitely not going to have any news more recent than, let's say, yesterday early evening, because it probably goes to press about 12 hours earlier. Let's assume that the Daily Prophet does not need to be printed like a Muggle newspaper. Perhaps they just take blank parchment and sort of enchant it with the news. Hmm. So I bet it takes... uh, Less time. It's an it's the enchanted news. Yeah, basically, like if if something happened at five p.m. and the papers were being enchanted at five thirty, I guess they could still get the news in, you know. So Harry doesn't know what uh, what sort of challenge he's about to be up to. He uh, it, he's heading out to Hogsmeade, but he's so fed up with everybody that what does he do? Even though he is allowed to go to Hogsmeade. He wears his invisibility cloak. Yeah, he, he he sort of wants he wants to disappear. He wants to have a good time, maybe, or at least forget about his problems. But but he kind of wants nobody to notice him. Just leave him alone. Yeah. So Harry and Harry and Hermione know uh, Hermione and Ron know he's there, but he just wants to be ignored. Um, he's already in the public eye all the time. Now he's more so for two different reasons. He's in this tournament, so he's a celebrity on top of celebrity, and he's got his. Uh, News, this no is bad newspaper situation. Oh. So he knows that everywhere he goes, people are probably going to be whispering and gossiping about him. He's not looking forward to it. Exactly. So uh, Hagrid and Moody, Mad Eye Moody, show up, and uh, what happens to Harry when he's under the invisibility cloak with Mad Eye Moody? Oh yes, um, Mad Eye. Um looks like straight at the cloak Mm -hmm. where Harry is and he's like, whoa, that's creepy. So perhaps his enchanted fake eyeball can see through uh, invisibility cloaks. Yeah, enchanted fake eyeballs are creepy. Well, it's the only one that we ever encounter in the book, but yeah, it's a little bit creepy. So so we know that uh, in the future were Harry ever to try and hide from Moody with his invisibility cloak, it wouldn't work. Moody appears in later books. I'm saying Harry knows this now. And yes, oh. Moody does appear in later books. <laughs> so, anywho, um, Harry goes to uh, visit Hagrid because Hagrid asked him to uh, at the uh, Three Broomsticks. They And he goes to meet him at night. And he says, bring your cloak, Harry. Where does Harry, uh, where does Hagrid sort of escort Harry to? This part I don't remember because I haven't read this in so long. He meets him in the woods. Hagrid has made himself look nice as oh, best as he can. Oh, I remember this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Harry thinks, I I think it mentions in the book that Harry thinks 
that makes him look worse. Right, yeah, that it uh, didn't do much to help his situation. Yeah, he tried to, like, put gel and comb his hair, um, but um, Harry ends up seeing little comb bits still lost in his <laughs> hair. Yeah, he uh, obviously Hagrid is not too practiced at... Uh, grooming himself. Well, fancily grooming, but he wants to look nice. Why does he want to look nice? Because... Um, because he, he's probably going to meet somebody. There. Who's he going to meet? Uh, I forgot her name. Madame Maxine. Madame Maxine. The headmistress of Beaubaton. Beaubaton. So uh, maybe perhaps Hagrid being a... Half giant. Nine foot tall dude. <laughs> and uh, Madame Maxine being like, a... a like 11. She's like 11 feet tall. <laughs> maybe he's got a bit of a crush on her. Maybe. Maybe he sees a future in their uh, sort of pairing. Uh, so he meets Madame Maxine. Harry is under the uh, cloak. She never knows he's there. At this point, as a reader, I'm thinking, did Hagrid just bring Harry on a date? That, that seems weird. Why would he want a, a kid, in, an invisible kid, to accompany him when he's going to meet this lady he likes? <laughs> but no, he's there to reveal a super awesome secret about the first task. And what is that super awesome secret? The first task as you can guess, can be dragons. Dragons. Now, <laughs> there are dragons. We don't know what, what you're going to have to do. We're not, we don't know what you're going to have to do to them. Uh, we don't know. Uh, are you going to have to fight one, kill one, cut its head off, ride it? <laughs> who knows? You know, but. Duel it? Yeah, who knows? So, it, But Harry knows he's going to have to face a dragon in some fashion. Do you remember? This is kind of hard. I never remember all of them. Do you remember the four types of dragons? One of them, obviously, is named after this chapter. The Hungarian Horntail. Certainly. Uh, I think something's with fire. There's a Chinese firebolt. Chinese firebolt. <laughs> there is a hung. There is a common Welsh green. Common Welsh green. And a Swedish. A Swedish short. Short snout. Short snout. That's hard to say. So we've got four different kind of dragons. So it's safe to say that it might not even be a fair match. you got four completely different dragons, and uh, they might have different powers and abilities. Who knows? Um, so he's Harry's like, oh, oh, no. You know, this is going to be bad news. Harry's obviously going to get the hardest one to defeat. You'd think. He, t- he tends to get the short end of the stick. So um, so Harry runs off. He's like, forget this. I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, I've seen enough. He runs into Kakarov. I always think his name is Karkaroff. Uh, it is Karkaroff, but, you know, it's it's hard for me because in the movies they say Kakarov. So <laughs> it is Karkaroff. Um, he sees Karkaroff and uh, they, they probably even say it right in the movies, but they say it so quickly you can't hear that R, I suppose. And realizes that he's probably there doing some scouting so he can give Victor Crumb some early information, right? Yeah, some hints about the first task. And now, Hagrid's not supposed to be doing that for Harry, and and Kakarov's not supposed to be doing that for his guy either. It's and supposed Max, to be a surprise. And Maxime isn't supposed to be doing it for Floor. So you know, it has never occurred to me that Hagrid invited her there so that she could tell Floor about the dragons. Maybe that was his way of sort of getting her to like him that he was doing her a favor. I honestly had not thought about that. And it might be spelled out in the books. I haven't read them in years. So um, so Harry heads back to the common room and he finds who in his fireplace? 
Sirius Black. Sirius Black, his head at least, appears in the fireplace. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of Sirius Black, I just wanted to mention this. It was kind of funny. Earlier today, I was listening to YouTube, and I saw a Harry Potter song that said it was written by Sirius. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Maybe it was a band called Sirius Black. Mm. I don't know. You've been listening to a lot of wizard rock lately. Yeah. That was a song you just listened to. I listened to this book is so awesome. You listened and to I the Mar- and the Marauders map and the Marauders map. Yes. What, who do you remember? Which bands play those songs? The Ministry of Magic. Those are all by the Ministry of Magic, except yeah. for this book is so awesome. You like their version? They cover yeah. it. Okay. So we might do we might do more of this in, in a future episode. Talk about the wizard music that you've been enjoying, but uh, so far you're a big fan of the band, the Ministry of Magic. And their uh, and their version of this book is so awesome, which is a more mellow uh, sort of ballad version, whereas the one by Harry and the Potters is a very up tempo punk rock version. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so so check those guys out in their various online incarnations. Uh, Google Ministry of Magic music or Wizard Rock or something like that. I think I Heart Weasleys is my favorite, or Gred and Forge Wizard Christmas. Gred and Forge is a different. Wizard Rock Band, right? Yeah. Okay, okay. But it's still so, funny. Okay, so Wizard Rock Tangent, back to uh, Dragon Business. Uh, Harry sees Sirius in the fire. It's the first time we've spoken to Sirius, right, since the last book, I yeah, believe? it is. Maybe he had a letter earlier, not sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't think letters would count. But Sirius tells him something pretty disturbing about Karkaroff. What is that? He used to be a Death Eater. What is a Death Eater? A Death Eater is a supporter of Voldemort. Not only a supporter, but literally a servant. Uh, They're sort of his disciples. You could have thought Voldemort was an all right dude, but these were the guys that were right at his side doing his business, likely murdering people, murdering muggles, uh, murdering wizards that Voldemort didn't like. It never occurred to me... If Voldemort actually did anything, unless it was a serious cause. It is unclear, other than directly murdering Lillian James Potter, if Voldemort personally committed all of his travesties or if he commanded others to do it. Because as we will see in future books, he takes very little personal action. And that is that is the hallmark of a... Uh, of a cowardly evil leader, they have they have grand evil ideas, but they get other people to carry them out because they're scared. They're scared, and that also keeps them directly not responsible uh, of having to do their own dirty work. So and it's seen- you'll see this all throughout history as you as you as you study uh, world history in the years to come. You will learn about people who committed horrible horrible acts by convincing others to do bad things for them. And Voldemort's no different. It seems like... Um, uh, wait. I forgot what I was going to say. Well, that's okay. Um, so, so he says that Karkaroff was a Death Eater. How did he get out of Azkaban prison? Didn't he... Like... Either do them a favor or replace himself? No, no, he's not the one that replaced himself. He is the one that said, I will give up other Death Eaters. I will tell you 
who among you is hiding and is secretly a supporter of Voldemort. That's... If you let me go. Yeah, I, I remember this later in the movie. They so actually they, show it So they trade later. like 10 Death Eaters for one, but they're letting a... They're letting a bad dude back out on the streets. Karkaroff's not a good guy. He, you know, headmaster or not, friend of Dumbledore or not. Does not matter. He's a bad guy. Uh, he probably should not have been let out of prison, but that's... Plus, plus I don't think they're friends. Um, They seem to be friendly acquaintances. I doubt he... I, Dumbledore, I think Dumbledore is one of those keep your enemies closer kind of guys. He probably wouldn't tell him if you hated him. Uh, so our next chapter, chapter 20, the first task, which we know now involves dragons. Harry tells Hermione, uh, what he, what he's going to have to do. It's going to, he's got a conversation with Sirius. He tells her about, uh, Sirius's advice, which was you have to get a, you, all you need is a simple spell, but then he got cut off. Do you remember why he got cut off? Didn't Moody show up? No, he had broken into a house to use their fireplace because he's on the run. Oh. So uh, he had to get out of there. I don't know if he was in a muggle's home or what, but he was using their fireplace. Yeah, it mentions in the movie that he was. Let's in not a, talk about the movies because they're they're very very different at this point. Um, but he doesn't know what that simple spell is going to be. So they start doing research, and they're kind of getting nowhere, right? Yeah. Uh, Harry is. Yeah, I keep on thinking about the movie. Harry is not enthusiastic about his prospects on the first task at this point, but he at least wants to do the right thing and make sure everyone, since three of the four champions know about dragons, he wants everyone to know. So what does he do? So that way Cedric's not the only one who doesn't know. So what does Harry decide to do? The next time he sees Cedric, he decides to tell him about the dragons. Yeah, and he, he's like, you know, I know we're on opposite sides of this thing, but we don't have to be. First task is dragons. I don't know what that means, but there you go. It's just better for everyone to know and you not be the only one who's like, And personally, I would be, with that knowledge, I would be uh, researching, you know, spells that protect me against fire. Spells that give me more strength, perhaps, or... Make me faster. Faster. Or uh, spells that might uh, stun a giant animal, regardless of how big, or maybe spells that create chains that can hold down an animal or something. I remember um, the spell that stuns you. It's the one that sounds like it sounds like it makes you stupid. Stupefy. <laughs> stupefy, yeah. I don't think a stupefy would work on a dragon, though. They do mention that it takes four or five dragon handlers shooting stupefies at one dragon to keep it, to get it into the cage they want it to go into. So I'm guessing one wizard and one wand and one stupefy, not going to go very far. Stupefy, 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 stupefy. Yeah, so Moody runs into Harry and says, meet me in my office, Potter. And uh, you never know, you know, Moody seems like he's on Harry's side, but he's very gruff and... Uh, almost unpleasant. Exactly. He's like a screeching (laughs) turtle or whatever that was that you were doing there. So, uh, Moody thinks it's a good idea for Harry to have told Cedric. Uh, Harry sees a bunch of magical items all over Moody's office. A sneakoscope, uh, secrecy sensors, faux glass. These are all things that you would use to 
detect enemies, enemies, evil, that sort of thing. He sees a big trunk too. And he says, uh, you know, don't worry about that putter. You wouldn't believe me if I told you what was in it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we'll learn later that there was something. He, he wouldn't have believed him. It's pretty crazy what's in there. So uh, he does mention, though, that, yes, you do need a simple spell. Use the thing that you're good at. Harry is good at what? He's good at Quidditch. He's good at flying. And he's got a really fast broom. So he figures out, ah, I'm going to have to summon my firebolt. The fastest broom in the world currently. Yeah, and he's going to have to, you know, he doesn't know what he's going to have to do with the dragon, but I guess being fast on a broom is going to help him. So uh, so he practices summoning spells for the whole next day. He starts summoning books and rocks and toads and, you know, all kinds <laughs> of stuff. The next day is the first task of the Triwizard Tournament. And Hermione's and Ron's. <laughs> I don't think he summons them. <laughs> I don't think he floats them across the room. It would be fun, though. And uh, the champions are sent... The champions are sent uh, during class. Uh, they're they're pulled out of class and taken to a tent. They sort of get in these little tri-wizard uniforms. And uh, Ludo Bagman's there. And he explains their task. What is their task? To fight dragons. No. What is their task? Oh, to get the egg, the golden egg that the dragons are trying to protect. And you should assume that a dragon is instinctually going to protect an egg like it would protect its own baby eggs, right? So they've yeah. hidden these golden eggs. These dragons are protecting them. Uh, how do they decide who goes first and who gets what dragon? Uh, I honestly have no idea. They pull little tiny dragons out of a bag. And of course, uh, which one does Harry get? Hungarian Horntail. Seems like a bad one, right? It seems like the other ones quite aren't, aren't quite that bad. Yeah. I think, so I think that the Welsh, the common Welsh green is the cutest. It, who knows? Maybe it's cute and dangerous. I don't, I don't know, uh, how, how dragons are, you know, but, uh, who goes, uh, last Harry Harry's last. So he hears, all this rumbling and roaring from the tent, but he does not know what's going on. Harry goes last, summons his firebolt. What does he say? Akio firebolt! And gets his firebolt, and he's off. His strategy seems to be to lure the dragon away. The dragon leaves the pit that where everyone's paying attention and follows Harry. Uh, then you've got an entire stadium full of spectators watching nothing. Isn't he? Ch isn't the dragon chained up and then gets loose? Yeah, he breaks it. Yeah, which shows that he could have broken it regardless. So it probably wasn't that safe. But then you have, you know, probably what a thousand people sitting in this stadium, bored. You're watching nothing. Okay. No one knows what's going on. Harry's off destroying the roof of Hogwarts. <laughs> uh, this dragon chasing him, but he whips back around. He gets the egg and he wins. He finds out later that uh, Cedric used transfiguration. Floor used a sleeping charm. Wait, transfiguration? Yeah, like he either transfigured the dragon or himself. Uh, Floor used a sleeping charm, and Crumb hit it with some kind of a knockout spell, like a punch spell. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, though, it's not about how quick you do it. In this case, 
It's sort of with how much style and skill you do it. So the judges, Madame Maxine, Barty Crouch, Senior, Dumbledore, and Karkaroff, uh, which, by the way, Dumbledore and Karkaroff and Madame Maxine should not be judges. They should. They would probably always vote for their own, their own students. It's ridiculous. Except for Dumbledore. He's got two, though. He would vote for those two. I mean, you know, he's fair, but still ridiculous. Um, not to be confused with ridiculous. Ridiculous. So, uh, but Harry wins. He apparently had the most style. And if you compared their their methods, I would think maybe Floors was the most. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Boring to watch, right? Yeah. Asleep. All right, I'll just grab that egg and be on my way. So uh, I wonder if she scored the least because she did the less least daring thing. Perhaps Possibly. I'm not sure. Uh, certainly the least inter- least entertaining. I think that Crumbs would be second, and Cedric's would be third. Yeah, we would have to. It depends on what Cedric turned something into. Who knows what he turned himself or a dragon or something else into? I Maybe don't know. he turned himself into a bird, or he transfigured the dragon into a mouse. Yeah, I don't know. If that was an option, that seems like a pretty good option. Chapter 21, the House Elf Liberation Front. Ron has decided to change his mind about Harry at this point. What does Ron tell Harry in terms of, like, thinking that Harry put his name in the goblet? He says that um, he was pretty stupid to think that he actually put his own name in the goblet or asked somebody else to do it. Because it's likely going to get him killed, right? Yes, why would he want to kill himself? So he eventually says sorry to Harry and then friends. Yay. Yeah, so they're friends again. Uh, Harry informs Ron that Karkaroff was a Death Eater. And uh, they decide we got to talk to Sirius. They go send him an owl. And then they head to the common room. Big surprise party, right? Crash, bang. He's got the egg. Everyone wants to know what what's inside it. They all assume it can be opened and they, they want him to open the egg. What happens when he opens the egg? Yeah, that's a horrible screeching sound. Uh, it hurts everybody's ears and Harry is none the wiser for what he is to do next. Whoa, sorry. All right, put that down, please. So, uh... Harry has no idea what he's going to do next. And he heads off to care of magical creatures with Hagrid. What sort of horrible, wretched beast is Hagrid growing this year? Uh, It's a something ended something. Oh, it's a blast ended Scrooge. Scrooge, yeah. And which we don't, I don't know if we know it at this point, but a blast ended Scrooge is a creature of Hagrid's own creation. What? He has crossbred uh, two different foul magical creatures. I cannot for the life of me remember which ones they were. It's a something crab and a flibbity gibbet. I can't remember. <laughs> uh, but it's two things. One of them that's pretty innocuous and one of them that is awful. Innocuous? Uh, not, a, not a threat. Uh, and then one of them that's a big threat that you're not allowed. They're supposed to be as dangerous as acromantulas, which we know are pretty dangerous. And so Hagrid's made something even more dangerous and horrible and terrifying. Uh, and so he's he's putting them into boxes. What happens with those blasted scrutes? Don't they start eating each other? I don't remember if they eat each other. He said there's just ten of them left, so maybe they do. But they start blast ending. I know that. 
And so the Slytherins and Neville run into Hagrid's... Ah. Who stays behind to help him out? Hermione and Hermione. And also uh, Seamus and Lavender Brown and Dean Thomas. Oh. Uh, which is odd that they're they're not usually in the mix of uh, super harrowing, brave stuff. <laughs> so there they are helping out. But they're all a little beat up. They're a little worse for the wear, right? Yeah. At the worst possible time, who shows up? Uh, Moody? Nope. Rita Skeeter. Rita Skeeter sees these injured children. Boo. And that uh, Hagrid must be at fault, and she wants to interview Hagrid tomorrow. So, I don't know if he realizes that probably spells bad news for Hagrid. Yeah. Rita Skeeter spells trouble. Pretty much wherever she shows up, right? Yes. Uh, Hermione takes Harry and Ron to the castle kitchens, and they find Dobby wearing fancy clothes. He's the only house elf probably on the earth at that point, (laughs) wearing human-type clothes, right? hmm And uh, what does Dobby tell him about why he's there? Mm. Do you remember what he's doing at Hogwarts? Mm-mm. Dobby uh, got Dumbledore to give him and Winky, his friend, who was at the uh, Quidditch World Cup um, and was also Mr. Crouch's house elf and got fired right on the spot, uh, jobs at Hogwarts. And Winky is not too happy about this. Do you know why? Because she's, like you s- said um, a few episodes ago, she's basically brainwashed and likes not being paid. She also likes her master who rejected her. And so she's very upset that her master does not want her anymore. Uh, she's ashamed of being set free. It's it's not a point of pride. It's it's sort of a disgrace for a house elf. And she's also dis- um, and she's also heartbroken that uh, her master gave her up. And she is also basically basically wanting to run away right now because she does not want to have a job. Yeah, and they and Dumbledore offered to pay them a fair wage, and they talked him down to like one-tenth of what he was offering so they could feel good about it. That's also crazy. Chapter 22, The Unexpected Task. Uh, Harry and Ron are in Transfiguration with McGonagall, and their homework was to describe the ways that transforming spells must be adapted when performing cross-species switches. That makes that sounds, absolutely no sense. Sounds very confusing. Uh, but it means like if you're going to turn a duck into a rabbit. Blurry, blue, blah, blue. No, it means if you're going to like turn a duck into a rabbit, what do you have to do? So, uh, but McGonagall announces, all right, enough with Transfiguration. I got some news. Um, there is a special event coming up, which we assume is only for the fourth years and above because we've never heard of it before. What is this event that's around the corner? This I don't remember. The Yule Ball. Oh, yeah. It's like their uh, sort of their winter. No, it's it's not for um, just fourth years and up because I think it's for the Triwizard Tournament. Oh, you th- I yeah. don't know. I got the impression that there's a Yule Ball every year. No, I think it's only for the Triwizard Tournament. I don't know. Um, but they do have to do some things they're not used to doing. 
They're going to have to dress up super fancy. And then what else are they going to have to do? They're going to have to find a partner and dance at a ball. Yeah, and that seems to be something that they are maybe too young to... Understand. Uh, well, to, uh, to deal with maturely. They, they seem to, the boys seem to think it's dumb. The, the girls love it. The girls are all giggling, but they're all also embarrassed. And uh, they've booked a, a special wizard band, a real wizard rock band. Do you remember their name? No, they never said. Yeah, they do. The Weird Sisters. Sisters? Mm-hmm. They're boys. They're called the Weird Sisters. Hmm. It's just a name, I suppose. Um, so they, uh, have to practice their dancing. The boys don't want to do it. Um, I can't remember if Harry actually does dance with McGonagall in the books or if that's just in the movies as, uh, as a, uh, example, you know, no, that's Ron in the movie or Ron in the movie. Sure. I don't remember who does it in the book or if anyone does it in the book, but, uh, it's, it's sort of a sign of them having to grow up a little bit and maybe some of them go on their first dates. <laughs> And, uh, you know, pay attention to the other people in the school. They might have crushes on a little bit more. I don't know. Obviously, um, Hagrid would, would go with Maxime. You would think so. Yeah. Um, Ron doesn't know who he wants to go with, but he doesn't want to end up with no options. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not that he doesn't want to do it. It's just he's sort of iffy about it. It's something they've never done before. They're obviously very nervous. Uh, Harry finally asks who. Uh, what do you mean? Who does he ask? He finally gets up the nerve. He asks Hermione? No. He asks Cho Chang. Cho. But That's- there's a problem with him asking Cho. What's the problem? Cho's already going with somebody. Oh, Harry, I can't go with you. I've already promised to go with Cedric. So Cho can't go with Harry. Uh, It's also implied at this point that maybe Cho and Cedric are dating, and Harry didn't know about that. So Harry goes back to the common room, and uh, Ron is there and tells Harry that he asked who? Lord Delacour. And how did that go for Ron? Splendidly, I would expect, right? Heck no. No. (laughs) Uh, he's pretty devastated that she turned him down. This is where Harry tells Ron, you know, she's part Vila, right? It's like, it's not your fault. She's bewitched you without even trying. So don't feel so bad. But as they start asking around, everyone's got a date already, right? Yeah. So they think they are the last ones who don't have anybody. And, uh, at this point, uh, I think Ron or somebody, one of the two, is like, fine, let's just ask Hermione. She's obviously got no one. Neville tells them not so fast. Who's Hermione going with? Crumb? Victor Crumb. Seems like an unlikely pairing, right? Yeah, Victor, he's in the seventh grade. Hermione, she's in the fourth. Seventh year. Year. Yeah, that's a big di- seventh grade and seventh year are a big difference. You know what I mean. No, I'm saying that's that's a big difference. Uh, Victor is Victor's basically an adult at this point. Yeah, because they're declared an adult at seventeen. And he's also got a, a professional Quidditch job, apparently, while he's still in school. So 
Plus, her Hermione likes Quidditch, but she doesn't like flying. So, uh, this is a point where, in, in, in an interview I read with J.K. Rowling, she mentioned, as is common with early teenagers, they're all sort of in love with the wrong person. It, it, it's sort of a common trend for when you're first figuring out what kind of person you want to spend your time with as a young teen, that you would go for someone who's maybe not the best fit for you because you don't know what you're doing yet. So Hermione's obviously picked someone who's maybe not that compatible with her. She's super smart. He's super maybe not smart. <laughs> uh, Harry has picked someone who is unavailable. That's a common teenage mistake. And Ron has picked somebody who, sad to say, but is way out of his league. Um probably would not be interested in him in a million years. <laughs> so he set himself up for disappointment. These are all very common teenage mistakes. And these are all, actually, you know, they're wizards, but they're teenagers. So. Actually, I think that Harry's was actually a really good choice. But she was unavailable. He waited too long. That's his mistake. Oh. Maybe they would have been good together. But uh, but he waited too long. He waited too long. And that's, you know, that's a problem. Um so they sort of, at their very last option, they find out that the Patil sisters... Have nobody. And Pavardi will go with Harry, but Ron has to take Padma, right? Yes. So they've sort of made a arrangement of convenience, more so than really wanting to go to the ball together. So Padma, Patil, and who? Pavardi. Pavardi. We only hear about P Pavardi going forward. Padma is kind of in the background, but they're twins... I think they're both Ravenclaws. I don't remember. They're Ravenclaws. Okay. So chapter 23, the Yule Ball. Uh, Hermione tells Ron uh, and Harry that her teeth look better now because after Malfoy hexed her, she let Madame Pomfrey fix them. And uh, without telling them, they used to look worse. So a thing that obviously is not in the movies is that Hermione has had buck teeth her whole life. They're, she has very, very sort of pronounced front kind of rabbity teeth. Uh, and then Malfoy's hex in potions class made them much worse, right? Mm -hmm. I think she's saying here that she had Madame Pomfrey reduce them to regular teeth size. Mm. So now she has, for her at least, she considers it to be a more, uh, you know, standard appearance. And she's maybe feeling a little better about the way she looks. Um, obviously they leave that out of the, the movies entirely, but anywho, uh, Pigwidgeon arrives with a letter from Sirius and he, he tells Harry, you know, good job for getting past the horn tail, but I would have used a conjunctivitis curse, which is what Crumb used. You know what conjunctivitis, con conjunctivitis is? It's the punching curse. <laughs> it's pink eye. You haven't, I don't think you've ever had pink eye. It's, it's when you get bacteria in your eye and it hurts, itches really bad. My friend Brittany did it my sixth birthday. Mommy and I both did it when you were a baby and it was your fault. Hey, what did I do? You pooped everywhere because babies poop all the time and everything's always got little bits of poop on it. Did you have to mention that? <laughs> I'm just being silly. It was just from changing your diapers. So uh, we had pink eye, and it was terrible. It shut this whole house down for like a week. Our eyes were solid red. You can't even really go anywhere because people look at you like you're crazy. 
Because your eyes are like, like your vampires. Well, sort of. Uh, your eyes are like maroon and they're watery and they're full of goop. So, assumingly, that's what uh, Crumb did to a dragon, uh, which seems like a even worse for a dragon than for a person. Hmm. Harry wakes up on Christmas and finds an unexpected visitor in his room. Do you remember who it is? Someone who normally shows up in Harry's room unexpected. Dobby. Oh, Dobby. Yeah, so Dobby's there and he's got uh, presents for Harry. Uh, Ron gives Dobby some clothing. And Hermione uh, gives uh, Harry a book called Quidditch Teams of Britain and Ireland. Hermione. Hermione. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they sort of uh, exchange exchange all their little presents. Sirius uh, gave uh, Harry a pin knife. You would think that Sirius would want Harry to protect himself. He should give him like a giant sword or something. But <laughs> but uh, they head down to breakfast. And uh, it's sort of a, you know, Christmassy themed food because the Yule Ball is that night. Now, now Harry has two weapons to carry with him. His wand um, and that knife. I don't think he ever pulls out the knife. Uh, a pin knife is very small. And uh, still, it's a weapon. I, just, I don't think they ever use standard weapons. I mean, think about a wizard with a gun. He would just use a wand. Kill everybody. No, I mean, it's just not. It's not. Uh, they never bring like actual weapons into the. It's always about the magic that you know and how good you are at casting curses, I suppose. So, anywho, uh, Ron uh, gets a package. Featuring some clothing he was not expecting. Do you remember what he gets? Harry's putting on his dress robes. They're all fancy oh. and nice. They look like a muggle suit, but longer. Yeah, like um, like a black suit, some like a tuxedo. Yeah, but what does Ron get? He gets frilly dress robes, and he thinks that they're for Ginny. He thinks it's a dress. Yeah. Um, he, he uses a spell to remove some of the frills, but they still don't look that great, right? Yeah, that's why they're called dress robes. Uh, well, that's not why they're called dress robes, but he might think that's why they're called dress robes. Um, so they uh, they head down. He, he's not feeling great about the way he looks, but they head down for the uh, Yule Ball with Pavardi and Padma. And uh, right away, they're sort of not... Feeling it, right? Maybe even a little nauseous. Yeah, they're they're not going to dance. They don't really want to party. I think they get some punch or something. But the girls are not very impressed with their behavior, right? Uh, yeah, I think they actually kind of wanted to dance. Of course, it was going to be a fun time. Um, they were looking forward to, even though they weren't going with people they wanted to date, they were at least looking forward to having a good time as friends. Duh. Now, at this point, I think maybe Ron is starting to realize some hidden feelings he's got. Do you know what those might be? He might like Hermione a little He might. I don't think he realizes it yet, but I think he knows he doesn't like her being with Crumb. It's a problem. Uh, But he's not able to articulate his reasons at this point. Uh, so the band is playing. The Weird Sisters are rocking everybody out. And uh, the champions have to start the ball. But then everybody else is dancing. Neville's dancing with Ginny. 
Yeah, because Ginny agreed to go with him because nobody else wanted to. Dumbledore is dancing with Madame Maxine, not Which Hagrid. Is weird. Yeah, but I think it's just because they are visiting professors, perhaps, or they're visiting, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Wait. Headmasters. Didn't, um, didn't um, Dumbledore go with McGonagall? In the movie. Oh. Um, one thing that uh, J.K. Rowling has mentioned before, even though it really never comes up in the book, is that McGonagall is married, <laughs> but we never meet her spouse. Um, we also don't know. We assume that she goes home during the breaks, but we don't know. Um, if that for that for that matter, we don't know who else is married. Uh, most of the professors are painted as sort of being you know loners, but they might actually have relationships outside of Hogwarts, especially because they could just apparate to any other country in the world. <laughs> they could live in Texas and work in England and uh, Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting thing, I think. But um, they, they sort of, you know, Harry and Ron kind of ditch their dates. Harry and Ron go for a walk outside. They hear Kakarov talking with Snape and uh, kind of get the impression that they're up to no good, right? Yeah. It's still assumed at this point that maybe Snape has got some some bad guy in him. Darkness. Yeah, he's got some evil. Ki- he's got some kind of darkness in him, and, and we know that Kakarov was a Death Eater. Death Eater now, so who knows what those two are up to? Um, they overhear Hagrid talking to Madame Maxine. Hagrid makes kind of a startling confession at this point. Do you remember what it is? He's half giant. He's half giant. This is not allowed. Giants are essentially monsters. They're not just big people. They're like 30 feet tall. And they're they're like ogres and trolls and goblins. They're they're rampaging wild sort of uh creatures, right? And towards the end of the conversation, um Hagrid mentions he's lucky or something. I don't know. But he says that he's happy that or something that he's finally met an, another one. And, <gasps> and, but that's not okay. No. And Madame X seems like another what? He's like another half giant, of course. She does not take kindly to this insinuation. He's like, oh, I have big bones. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just 11 feet tall. What are you talking about? <laughs> Obviously, she's half giant, but she doesn't want anyone to know. She's taller than you. Well, she's almost, she's like, not quite, but almost t- twice as tall as me. Um, so uh, she doesn't want that secret out there, even if everyone's got their suspicions, because that would be like saying she was half beast or half monster. I just realized something. If you and mommy are like three and a half feet tall or something, then Madame Maxime would be like <laughs> half the si- uh, what? like what? like the size. It it seems to me three and a half. I'm six feet tall. Mommy's like five six. four. Uh, you, I meant five. If you if you added me and mommy together, we Maxime would be about as tall as her sitting on my shoulders probably. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she's big. Were you saying something else? Never mind. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it I, made, it I'm definitely not three and a half feet tall. You're like three and a half feet tall. I, I meant five. You're four feet tall, actually. And uh, 424, chapter four, 
Book four, chapter 24. <laughs> Rita Skeeter's scoop. Everybody gets up late uh, after the ball. Uh, some of them were dancing into the night. Hermione seemed to be having a pretty good time with Victor Crumb. The boys didn't have a great time. And uh, Harry still hasn't managed to figure out his golden egg. Who gives him a bit of advice about how to handle this egg? Cedric. What does Cedric tell Harry to do? He tells him uh, about the prefect's bathroom on the fifth floor and tells him it's not a bad place for a bath. He should take take his egg and soak it over and um, think it over in the hot water. Now, it seems like Harry has to break into this bathroom because if it's the prefect's bathroom, Harry's not a prefect. He's obviously not supposed to be there, I would think. This is also a very roundabout way for Cedric to essentially tell Harry, put the egg underwater. He he probably could have done that in wherever he takes a bath, you know? Yeah. Why do you, you got to go to the prefect's bathroom? Yeah, that makes no sense. Yeah, it seems pretty dumb. I think he, maybe he meant just to be super, super alone. Maybe no one ever uses that bathroom. Or maybe it's because, it might be because Myrtle's in there, I don't know. Well, I don't think Cedric intends for Myrtle to help Harry, but as we soon see, she does. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, They have Care of Magical Creatures class. Somebody's missing. Who's not there? Uh, Perhaps the teacher? uh, Hagrid. Hagrid's gone. Uh, Instead, you got Professor Grubbly Plank. Grubbly who? Professor Grubbly Plank. And she is the, uh, she's not the, is she the herbology teacher? No. What, who is she? I, I, I don't know. Herbo, cause herbology is plants, right? Yes. It's herbology is Professor Sprout. That's right. Who is Professor Grubbly Plank? I don't remember. So, uh, she's replacing Hagrid. She has brought a far less menacing creature. Remember what, who she brings for the students to learn about? No. It's a unicorn. Oh. It's not a blast-ended unicorn. It's not a <laughs> fire-faced unicorn. It's not a, a lava shooting out of its eyeballs unicorn or a laser hooves unicorn. It's just a standard horse with a horn on its head and magical blood. I, th- <laughs> I think it's a, ba- it's a baby unicorn, um, and they're surprised to see that baby unicorns have golden skin. Oh, okay. Instead of like white or something else later. White or pink, something like that. So they're like, where's Hagrid? Malfoy's like, I'll tell you where Hagrid is. And he shows them the new Rita Skeeter article. What does it say about Hagrid? I don't remember this. It reveals that he's half giant. And no one knows. So Hagrid assumes, that's it, I'm sacked, I'm out. I'm out of Hogwarts again. I'm done. Yeah. He's constantly being kicked out of something or another. (laughs) He thinks. They don't know. Ron and Hermione and Harry don't know how she found out. A good guess would be that she sends that quick quotes quill flying around to listen to people's conversations. And remember the interview. Oh, you, you think Hagrid... Revealed it during his interview? Maybe accidentally, because you know how he is with secrets. He's bad at secrets. He's really, really bad. That's true. You know what? That's probably right, because it even knows his mother's name, which he did not reveal to Maxine. 
Uh, and his mother's name was Fridwulfa, the giantess. Wolfa. Fridwulfa. That's pretty crazy. That's that sounds like uh, a werewolf's name. So they want to f- they want to meet up with Hagrid, uh, sort of ask him how he's doing and if he's going to come back, but he won't answer the door. They go to Hogsmeade, which I'm guessing they're not supposed to at this point. I don't think the kids can just come and go to Hogsmeade when they feel like it. It's it's only on Hogsmeade weekends. Yeah, so they head off and they go to the Three Broomsticks. They see Bagman talking with a group of goblins. That's kind of suspicious. Maybe um, Professor Grubbly Plank teaches um, goblin language. I don't know. Um, Bagman tells Harry that Barty Crouch is ill, and there's no more news about Bertha Jorkins, who has been missing. She was a ministry employee who is, uh, you know, no one can find her, right? Right. And that Mr. Crouch knew her, and he's worried about her. That's Maybe that's why he's sick. Bagman offers to tell Harry uh, a clue about his egg, but he, I think he already knows the clue about how to listen to it, you know, or how to, how to, what to do with it at least, to put it underwater. Uh, and then Rita Skeeter shows up. Harry kind of gets into a shouting match with her about her ruining people's reputations and having no consideration for how she destroys people's lives and spreads rumors and all kinds of stuff. Right. Right. And and honestly, even though her opinions were bad, most of the stuff she said was based in fact, but you don't share people's private business. You know, it's, it's mean, but people like to read it. That's the problem. If nobody was reading it, she wouldn't have any reason to write it. So she's at fault for putting it out there, but so are all the people that buy the newspaper and eat up all that garbage. Um, it's a, a vicious cycle of supply and demand. So they finally get a hold of Hagrid that night. Dumbledore's there too. And they convince him, you know, you're not unwelcome. You got to stay here. You got to teach. You haven't been fired. Hagrid's just concerned that his secret is out now, right? Yeah. Harry tells Hagrid that they've got something in common. Hagrid's got giants in his family. Who does Harry have? Muggles. No, the Dursleys specifically. Uh. He's saying having them is as bad as having giants. Which I don't think is very comforting. I think he meant it as a joke to cheer Hagrid up. Oh. Of course, I don't think Hagrid thinks giants are that bad because Hagrid doesn't think. He is a half giant. Well, of course, he doesn't want to think anything bad about himself, but he also thinks that big sort of. Uh, dangerous, horrible things are nice. So uh, that also tells you maybe that's why he feels that way. Maybe he feels like giant man-eating spiders and blast-ended <laughs> scroots are good pets because he himself is a big giant monster. Uh, and he likes his mom from what he knows about her. He doesn't know much about her, but he liked her. So, uh, you know, he doesn't, he, he's got a different view. I think he mentioned that his mom died right when he started school. I don't remember his mom dying. I remember in the movies, I think he says she took off and left his dad. No, I think it was dying. But I don't remember what happens in the books. Anyway. Dumbledore says you're not allowed to quit. You're coming back to Hogwarts. End of story. Chapter 25. The Egg and the Eye. Harry uh, does take the egg... To the prefect's bathroom, which using makes, his invisibility cloak. Which, again, makes no sense. 
And, uh, well, he uses the Marauder's Map to make sure no one follows him there. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot he still had that. Well, he, and he only uses it sometimes. The problem with giving, like we've mentioned before, the problem with giving Harry all these very powerful magical items is that he should keep them in a backpack on his person at all times. Because they would always, come, for instance, what what if he had pulled out the invisibility cloak when fighting the dragon? Maybe he could have just walked up and taken the egg and <laughs> walked away. <laughs> of course, then everyone would know he had an invisibility cloak. So that would also. Yeah. Everyone would be like, where's Harry? That might be a problem. <laughs> um, well, and I don't think he's supposed to have it because as we will later find out, they're much more rare than it seems. Somebody would probably try and steal it from him. So anywho, uh, Harry shoves the egg in the water. Um, after, uh, who gives him a bit of advice on how to handle the egg Uh, in the bathroom? Who's in there with him? Myrtle. Moaning Myrtle. Oh, Harry, the other boy that was in here, he put the egg in the water and listened to it. The handsome one. Yeah. So, uh, she also indicates that she's trying to sneak a peek at them while they're taking baths. It's weird. She's weird. <laughs> so uh, Harry does what Cedric did, puts his head in the water, holds the egg underwater. The egg opens up and it begins to sing. And I'm sure you don't remember the entire song, right? I remember a few lines. What do you remember? Come seek us where our voices sound. We cannot sing above the ground. An hour long you'll have to look to uncover what we took. That's very close. That's a truncated version of it. Um, In the middle it says, and while you're searching, ponder this, what we've taken you'll sorely miss. An hour long you'll have to look and recover what we took, but past an hour, the prospect's black. I never heard that part. Too late, it's gone, it won't come back. This is a point of contention for me in, in this book, and perhaps for other people, that I will get to in the next chapter about whether or not their warning was true or not. Because they're suggesting... Maybe maybe it means... Maybe it just makes them try harder or something. It's, I'm hoping it's a lie, because we don't know yet what they're taking, but they're implying, what? whatever we take, you're going to miss it. If you don't get it back in an hour, we, it's gone. It is gone forever. You are never going to see it again. So if it's like your favorite pair of shoes, okay, I Whatever. guess I lost my shoes. But it's more severe than that, as we will soon find out. Uh, Harry listens a few more times and memorizes the song because he doesn't think to bring anything to write anything down. Uh, and then he realizes he has to go down to the mer people in the lake. Mer ladies and mer dudes. In the lake. Mermen and uh, mermaids are not quite so um, beautiful beautiful as other fiction makes them out to be. And this, they're more fishy in this, right? Yeah, they're not like the fairy tales, like the little mermaid or anything. No, they're not just people with tails. They're more like, they're, they're more, they're more like centaurs. They're more like creatures. They're sort of like ha- half sp- Half Hungarian horntail, half fish. <laughs> not right. Well, not like the dragony, but well, they're spiky. But like the the centaurs in the book in these books are more animalistic than centaurs in other fictions. So uh, the creatures that are sort of half human, half something else, uh, they seem to have more of their animal traits in the Harry Potter universe. 
and they also keep to themselves. Uh, it seems like people are not visiting the mer people that often. So he leaves the bathroom. On the map, he sees Barty Crouch in Snape's office. Uh, so he he knows that Crouch is sick, so he heads in that direction. And his leg gets stuck in one of the uh, steps. And the egg in the map fall to the ground. Filch shows up. What's all this noise? <laughs> Filch finds the egg, thinking it was uh, Peeves who stole it. I guess because... Harry is still under his invisibility cloak. And uh, Snape turns up and then uh, Moody is there. Moody obviously can see Harry. And Snape tries to take the map from the floor, but Harry signals to Moody that it's his. Moody uses a quick little Accio to get the map before Snape can get a hold of it. So even here, you know, uh, Moody is on Harry's side. He's He seems to be protecting Harry from trouble. And he seems to be uh, making sure Harry still has the things he needs to complete his secret tasks. He seems like a real friend at this point. So Snape and Filch head off. Moody is now like, all right, we're alone, Harry. Uh, He helps Harry uh, get up to the stairs, gives him back his egg, but he says he's going to borrow the Marauder's map. And he says, uh, Just so you know, Mr. Crouch just showed up on the map in Snape's office. So it seems like there is mystery afoot. We don't know what yet. Right? Yeah. Uh, Chapter 26, the second task. Uh, They're doing charms class, practicing a banishing charm. And Harry tells Ron and Hermione that he's figured out the clue uh, the night before. And they try and figure out what Snape was doing, uh, what Snape might have had to do with getting Harry's name in the goblet. They're, he's under suspicion now. Maybe he's the one that, you know, had something to do with it. At this point, would you think that Snape is involved, or do you think they're just ready to think that Snape is always up to no good? I think it's probably the second one. Yeah, they're... I don't think they they think Snape is a servant of the Dark Lord anymore, but I do think they don't trust him at all, right? Yeah. Harry sends another letter to Sirius telling him what's going on. So they're staying in constant contact. Uh, Even though we never see Sirius face-to-face in this book, Harry is probably getting a sense of sort of parental advice, having some communication with his godfather at this point. Uh, so they're trying to figure out Harry's second task, which sounds like he's going to have to stay underwater for an hour. No one can figure this out, right? Yeah, how are you going to hold your breath for an hour? In the movie, there's something funny. Harry's, um, Hermione says uh, something, something like, it's mental or something like that. and um, Or it's easy or something like that. And then Harry's like, uh, excuse me, how... when?" Um, when was the last time you held your, um, breath for an hour, um, underwater for an hour, Hermione? Yeah, and this is one of those issues where you gotta figure, uh, something as big as being able to hold your breath underwater would be a common knowledge thing. That might be one of those spells where it's like, oh yeah, I don't know how to do it, but I know what it is, you know? Like, uh, I don't know how to do acetylene welding, but I know what it is. And so if you said, how do I stick two pieces of metal together? 
I would say, well, you need some acetylene gas and you need a welding torch and then all the skill that goes along with that. So it seems to me like in the wizarding world, somebody would say, how do you hold your breath underwater for an hour? And then somebody else would say, I don't know how to do it myself, but I know it's called, in this case, a bubblehead charm. Or, you know, it seems like it should be common knowledge. Might take some practice, but no one knows. And so they're doing research. They're trying to figure it out. Uh, No teachers step in to help them. Seems like maybe a teacher would say, hey, by the way, Harry, you might want to try this bubblehead charm, you doofus. (laughs) But they... uh, Actually, it turns out Floor actually uses that. Well, a couple of them do. Um, I thought it was only one of them. Cedric does, too. Didn't Cedric uh, do something different, like turn himself into a shark? That's what Crumb does. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. But uh, their, their, their best guess is maybe we can drain the entire lake. But that seems like <laughs> an extreme measure, even though they do find a charm that might help with that. So Harry keeps looking. Uh, he can't find anything. Once again, woken up by Dobby. He's telling uh, Dobby his problems. And and there's no way to do it, you know. Uh, oh, and who is missing? Winky? No. Uh, Crouch? It's Ron. Oh, Ron. Ron has obviously been taken. Um as perhaps one of the things to be taken. Isn't Hermione too? He wouldn't know that because they don't sleep in the same room. Oh. So uh, Dobby tells Harry, well, you could always use gillyweed. He just knows. No one seems to know. Dobby knows. What is gillyweed? It's stuff that looks like green worms. And but it's a plant, right? Yeah, it's a plant. And obviously Neville would know about it because he's... He, is basically in love with her ball. Gee. And in the movies, it is Neville that tells him. But in, in this, it's Dobby. Dobby doesn't appear in this movie. So uh, they switch over who tells him at this point. Yeah. So um, anyway, it. Um, so we're talking about the movie here. Uh, let's get back to the book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do, um, it's a plant that. Once you eat the green worms, <laughs> um, it makes you have gills webbed and webbed feet and hands. So when they're getting ready to start this task and they, uh, you know, Ludo Bagman tells everybody, all right, go. Harry eats this stuff and that's just what happens. He grows gills. He gets sort of flippery feet. He gets uh, webbed fingers so he can swim faster. And he's basically a fish man at this point, right? <laughs> yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, it's Cedric and Floor who use the bubblehead charm, which is just a big pocket of air. I guess an hour worth of air that surrounds your mouth. And then, like you mentioned, Crumb uh, is like a half shark. And I believe it mentions, I could be wrong, that Crumb was trying to turn into a whole shark, but screwed up. Yeah. I think that's what happened. Between these three different methods of going underwater and doing things, who do you think has the biggest advantage at this point? Mm. Whose spell is going to help them the most? Probably Harry's. I think so, too. Um, Harry is not only able to breathe underwater, but he has now got 
flippers and fins, which should make him swim faster, right? Yeah. Uh, Floor and Cedric can just breathe underwater, but they've still got dumb human hands and feet. <laughs> so they, they're not really fishy. Who do you think is going to be the fastest? Uh, either Crumb or Harry. I'm thinking Crumb. Crumb's got half a giant shark body. Uh, so at least half of his physiology is no longer human and is more designed for speed and power in the water. So I feel like the two of them uh, came the closest to figuring out a good solution, which seems to be kind of how everything is going so far. Uh, Harry is sort of not really coming, coming up with anything on his own, but he's using his friends and their knowledge to come up with the best possible solutions for these tasks. So, because uh, so far, what is, has, he, has he had any of his own ideas? So who's helped him so far? So far, Cedric, uh, Sword of Myrtle, and And Sirius. Sirius and Dobby. Yeah, so a thing that we will obviously have already learned about Harry and that will always be true about Harry is he's very brave. Sometimes he's very dumb. (laughs) But he always, always, always succeeds with the help of his friends. He... He is never as good on his own as he is with them, right? Right. Every villain he's faced, every task he's faced, every problem he's had. Even in the it, it, it even even in the first book when they were doing when they were trying to figure out those crazy charms that the teachers made. You know when they were trying to get the stone. I don't know specifically what you're talking about, but. Oh, you mean the traps? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and without without his friends, he actually would not have succeeded because Ron had to stay behind during the chess match. So, again, uh, Harry is always stronger with his friends. And by contrast, in this particular challenge, it is friends who are stolen. It's friends who are in trouble. What uh, As Harry makes his way to the mermaid village underwater, he encounters Grindylow's which are evil little sea creatures. Uh, who do we find trapped underwater? Petrified. Oh, they're petrified? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Ron, Hermione, Cho, and... Oh, Floor's little sister. Right. So, uh... Harry realizes Ron must be his, even though he certainly loves... Harry and Hermione and Ron equally. Um, but Crumb comes and grabs Hermione and Cedric sets Cho free. Floor gets held up by Grindylow's maybe. Can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. It, at, in the movie, at least she does. So uh, Floor's not going to make it. Harry is ready to set Ron free and swim to the surface. Then he notices that Floor is not going to come, so he starts to take her little sister, but then the mermaids um, start, like, getting their giant fork things. and Tridents. Tridents, and and start pointing them at Harry's neck like they're threatening to kill him. Yeah, no, you get yours and no one else's. Now, here's the problem. Their poem says... 
If you don't, if they're not saved, they're gone for good. At this point, it seems like that's actually true. It seems like Harry has no other choice. Is this little girl going to drown? Is she going to wake up and drown if I don't save her? I don't care about this game. I didn't want to be in this game. And now you're telling me someone's life's in danger for a game? Unacceptable, right? I was going to take her. I do not care if I die. I just want to save my friends. So he saves them both. He sets them both free, swims to the surface, uh, stupefies the merpeople. Obviously as fast as he can, so once they're done with the stupefied charm, they don't come and kill him. But after all this extra effort, Hermione comes in second to last, because I guess Floor is last because she's disqualified. So Hermione's like, look, or Harry's like, I don't care. I saved these two. I'm last place now. I'm no good. Whatever. Doesn't matter. I just saved two people's lives. But the judges have a special meeting. And what do they decide? They decide to give Cedric first place because he got up first. They decide to give Harry second place because he saved two people. And um, Harry thought he would be last or in third because... um, because um, he came up last, but then Hermione explains to um, to him, Floor never got past the Grindelows. So yeah, he got awarded second place for saving two people, and then third was Crumb. Crumb was second. Cedric was first. Crumb was second. What? Or no, no, yes, normally it would have been that way. So yeah, Crumb was third and Floor was last with, I think, uh, just 25 points because she didn't make it. But uh, Floor is very grateful to Harry. And, you saved my sister. And she's also somehow grateful to Ron. In the movie, yes. I don't think I remember Ron having anything to do with it in the book. Hmm. Uh, but... Uh, so that so that that is how it all works out that that Harry is still in the running for champion basically because he did the right thing right mm-hmm. it's not just because he defied the rules or whatever it's that he wouldn't let anyone die but what does Ron tell Harry about the rules uh he tells him that the song was not meant to be taken literally well thanks for telling me now. Because in Harry's mind, this was life and death. He, he did think that this little girl was going to die. Yeah. So it seems like they should give them. Uh, yeah, obviously. There should be a final line that's like, by the way, we're just kidding about <laughs> the thing never coming back. Don't take it seriously. <laughs> anyway, have a good day and a good bath. Because, uh, you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. So they, uh, yeah, so obviously Dumbledore explains to them, you're going to be underwater for an hour petrified. Nothing's going to happen to you. <laughs> yeah, they know, but the champions don't know. And perhaps that was a trick on the champions to see who would do the right thing. Like, for instance, Cedric gets to the surface. He knows that Floor's sister is still underwater. If he was a real champion, perhaps he would have jumped back in the water and saved her. You know, so Harry shows what he's made of at that point. Yeah. Uh, then they tell you, they tell the champions, your third task will be in June and you'll hear details a month before. So obviously it's a few months away. 
maybe Harry's life can sort of start to return to normal a little bit at this point. Possibly. Probably not. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, you know. Um, so that's it for this episode. No. Of Potter and Daughter. Uh, when we come back, we'll be on chapter 27, Padfoot Returns. As we know, Padfoot is... Serious. Serious Black. So uh, he'll he'll play in heavily somehow in the next chapter. Uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, please uh, give us a review on iTunes. That would certainly be nice. And uh, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash hijinks and sue. Pledge one, two, three, four, five, five hundred, whatever dollars you'd like each month to ensure that we uh, can remain uh, producing the podcast, keeping it free, finishing the series. And then who knows what we're going to do after the series is done. And please have... keep it in the UK. <laughs> oh, yeah. The iTunes UK charts. Uh, we're actually no longer as of right now. We're not in the top 100 anymore. We were for a good amount of time and it was a very fun thing. And I was super proud of that. But uh but there's just too many popular podcasts out there to compete with them all always. But that sure was neat, though, right? Yeah. That was a very cool thing. I did get us a lot of new listeners, so it, it more than doubled our audience, which I, I do appreciate. That's awesome. And uh, what else do I normally say at the end of this thing? Good episode? Yeah, great episode. Kapow! We didn't get it. There it is. <laughs> Goodbye. This book is so awesome.